You're listening to The Hoof of the Horse, a podcast dedicated to farriery and equine science with Dr. Simon Curtis. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Hoof Care Essentials Foundation and their partners, Castle Plastics. Morocco is a country where the horse is adored. Often very poor villagers own three, five or seven horses and they live their whole lives for these horses. They also live their lives to maintain horsemanship traditions and I had perhaps one of my best visits when I went over to Morocco which is about a three hour flight from the UK uh, in North Africa just to have a look at it and get pictures for my book, The Farrier. Of course, while I was there, I had to take the opportunity of recording a podcast, and my host, Zuair, of course, is the subject of this podcast. He was also a subject of one of the chapters in The Farrier. Really, we discuss um, an awful lot of, of things during the podcast, not least how you change things in a, in a very traditional country, Uh, where education of farriers has been poor but as you'll see that is improving and also how how do you live with the economics of shoeing a horse in a country again that does not have a very strong economy. I loved visiting Morocco you'll see that from the photographs that accompany this podcast it's spectacular full of colour excitement and it just has that exotic flavour to it. Zuair was a great host and I hope you enjoy listening to him speaking about his life. I'm in Morocco for a couple of days uh, visiting my colleague Zuair Benjabour here in Buznika, which is, I don't know whether it's east or west of Rabat, but anyway, we're near Rabat, the capital of Morocco. So welcome to this podcast, Zuair. Thank you, Simon. Please tell us, first of all, something about Morocco. Well, Morocco is um, a North African country right at the tip of, um, tip of Africa, close to uh, Europe. Um, its basic its economy is based on agriculture. We have about 40 million people, <laughs> and the size of the country is quite big for these 40 millions, in comparison to some places like the UK, for example. So it's about three sizes the the UK. Um, horse-wise, we we have got quite a variety of um, horse population. Um, varying from you know your um, sport disciplines and to working animals as well, which is um, a, the, mo- the vast majority of equines in in Morocco is working animals. Okay, well, um, we'll, well we'll get onto those. And the other thing about Morocco is you have a coast on the Mediterranean, but also on the Atlantic. Atlantic, yeah. And then south is the Sahara Desert. Yeah. So most people probably will think of Morocco, Africa. The desert and yeah we don't ride camels here <laughs> um, 
so yeah, we, we have snow, we have rain as well. You have a lot of rain. <laughs> as, as you have experienced in these uh, last two days, uh, Simon, uh, there was a lot of rain. And um, if you go towards the Atlas Mountains, you will see some snow. Well, a lot of snow at this, this time of the year, which is winter. And then if you go further down, you're in the desert. <laughs> so you said about the types of horses. Now, in the two days I've been here, I've seen Arabians, I'm not surprised. I saw Berbers, which I was really pleased to see mm, some purebred yeah. Berbers. And you have quite a lot of crosses, don't you? Berber and, and Arabian. Yes. Um, so um, Berber is the, native, is the native horse of North Africa. And it's quite a strong, steady horse. Uh, Arabian, or as, as, as the name implies, <laughs> it comes from um, Arabia and um, it's well known for its endurance and its agility, its speed. Um, so mixing Berber with Arab gives the perfect horse yeah. for what is used here, which is speed and also a little bit more of steadiness and, and, and so on. So um, that's the Arab Berber horse, which is the most popular horse in Morocco. Yeah. Well, it's always nice to support your own, you know, the, the native breed. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I know you're having to go to some trouble to um, keep it purer. Yeah, I mean, the Berber horse at one point was getting to a point where it was going probably to be extinct because of different breeds being mixed with it and uh, being presented as, as Berber but it wasn't but um, thanks to uh, some um, efforts from the uh, SOREC which is the uh, society that it, um, takes care of horses in Morocco they have had a program which encouraged people to uh, breed uh, pure Berber horses and also some incentives to keep them and they also had some really good stall Berber stallions in their national studs which we have five in Morocco spread over the country and they offer them to people that want to breed Berber horses. Yeah, and I know, as I say, I saw some of them at one of your national studs, which was great yesterday. So tell me, Zuair, how did you get into horseshoeing? Well, it's a, it's a long story. I mean, um, horses has always been in my life since childhood. My grandfather was a saddle maker. My father was a farrier in one of the national studs in, in, in Morocco, in, in Meknes in particular. So I've, since I've, I can remember, I can remember horses around me. My first passion with farriery started when, um, in the early 90s, when my father was involved in the um, program that was run, uh, that was started by um, Walt Taylor of the USA and Tina McGregor. They started a program here to improve the um, ferry standards in Morocco. So there was Walt Taylor and there was um, another vet called Dr. Wassat and five farriers that have been chosen from different studs in Morocco to help improve the, um, the welfare of the horses in Morocco. So my father was one of those fives um, and I was always going around with him whenever there is a school holiday I always pester him to to go around and he'd be like go and mind your own studying and I'm just like no 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 I want to go with you to the markets to the souks to see all these uh, animals because we had a lot of work in animals and I just love going around with him seeing what he does and and um, the education that they were offering to um, these traditional farriers Okay, so after a while, uh, you came to England for a period, 
and then you worked with me for yeah. a while, and I actually forgot to ask you why you did that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, um, it's uh, it's a long story, but um, my, I, I, I married my wife, which is and uh, she's English, and that's the reason why I went to the UK, and that was actually a great opportunity to learn or improve my my farrier skills and um, to learn from some of the best farriers in, 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 the, in the country and probably in the world. Um, so that was a humbling experience really to, to see what people are, the level that people reached and aspire to be one day near enough to that level. And so I spent uh, a couple of years with, with you and that was, yeah, that was a day and life between how I came and, and when I left. Well, that was great. It was, it was really good having you. And um, anyway, it, it's been great catching up again after yeah. 10 years now, is it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's nearly 10 years since I left. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you three quick fire questions. So we want okay. quick answers. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, loop knife or straight knife? Definitely a loop knife. Hot shoeing or cold shoeing? Hot shoeing. When you can. <laughs> <laughs> Whether in England or Morocco? Oh, definitely Morocco. <laughs> See, I, my, my experience of Morocco is a very wet country. Yeah, it's, um, it's been exceptionally wet these last two days. But trust me, it's not like that all the time. Well, this is uh, an exceptional weather. We do have rain, as I said before, but it's usually during the season. You wouldn't catch, um, catch it raining here in August like in the UK. <laughs> yeah, OK, all right. Yeah. Imagine... <laughs> So, so now I know that when you came back here, you sort of decided that you were going to shoe every horse in Morocco for a while, <laughs> and um, but you've cut back now, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I um, when I came back here, I was just flat out working like no one's business, and um, I think that's that's something that young guys do. Well, until, you've got to get some money in your pocket. Absolutely, until um, your back, back starts hurting, and, and you start, um, you know, you start cutting down and um, probably revising your uh, business strategy. And um, I always had this ambition of starting my own farrier supply business because the living standard here is very uh, is very low in comparison to to Europe. So. All of the tools and the um, and the uh, equipment, the shoes, the nails are relatively expensive for farriers here to buy in Morocco. And part of um, improving the farrier welfare, the skill and the service that these animals are getting is to make horseshoes, nails, and tools more affordable to the farriers that are working on with them. Uh, working equines or traditional horses and that was always my aim is to try and bridge that gap because everything was imported from from Europe so you can imagine a hammer or um, or uh, nippers coming from Europe they're going to be even more expensive than than what they are actually in Europe so so just give us an idea what on average would a farrier get for putting a set of shoes on a horse Oh, it's um, <laughs> it's a, a long gap. It's a massive gap, unfortunately. Oh, all right, but should we say sports horses in in this area, where in a good establishment, what would somebody expect to get a farrier? A farrier would would um, get about five hundred dirhams 
and that's including shoes and so everything. That's about forty pounds. So that's about English forty pounds. Pound, so that fifty American dollars. Yeah. So yeah, that's something yeah, like that. But there's lots of parts of Europe where they're not getting. That. I mean, that's the top that, end. That's the top end. That's okay. the top end. There are a couple of exceptions that can, you know, people get sixty or seventy, even seventy pounds, but mm. that's not consistent. And even if it's consistent, it's a very, very small number in comparison of the horses in Morocco. And you showed me a set of shoes which are on the cheap end of the set of shoes, uh, which you said to me were eight pounds, so ten dollars. Yeah. So yeah, so a lot of your of, of, of your turnover is going on materials far more exactly, than most. Exactly. Yeah. And and parents. again, that's that's the middle top end of the scale. Um, I mean, if you remember, we saw some of the guys in the in the markets. They'll be showing a horse, shoes, everything included, for about eight or eight eight pounds, seven pounds. So ten dollars, yeah. So t about ten, not even t no, but, not ten dollars. And the thing you told me about the supply business, which I was surprised at first, but when you explained it, was that you sell more nails than shoes because a lot of them, they have to hand make the shoes, don't they, at the low end of the market? Absolutely. But they can't hand make the nails? No, it's not um, cost effective, unfortunately. There are some areas, actually, in Morocco, where they're still making nails. Oh, I'd like to see that. <laughs> well, because, you know, in, 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 it's only 120 years ago mm. when, when, in Europe, most of the nails were handmade, yeah. and they used to call the guys that made the nails the king of nail makers. Oh wow, that's yeah. Because so it, well, because you, uh, you make a nail to go in a piece of wood, mm. and it doesn't matter if it wiggles a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You make one that goes in a horse's foot, and it doesn't go straight. It's quite it's quite an intricate nail, isn't it? Yeah. In comparison to building nails. Well, one day I'd like to come back and see definitely see the nail making. Add that to your bucket list. All right, yeah, but my my ever growing bucket <laughs> yeah. list, I think it is. So you've got your farrier supply business going but you are still shoeing some horses aren't you very very rarely um, um, as um, you know circumstances and health and business um, takes you away from from these things but I do enjoy um, shoeing horses here and there and if someone calls me where they have a, an issue I feel obliged to help and even with the um, with the supply business where I'm selling shoes to farriers I'm always helping if they have any any issues. You go like, oh, we've got a trick a horse. Would you would you come and have a look at it and see what we can do with it? I'm always out there, and um, if even when they are long distance, I'll I'll just answer the phone and and do a, a consultation over, over the, the phone. phone. <laughs> I, know. I usually say, bring that horse close to the phone. Let's yeah. have a look at it. Okay, so you obviously you have to import a lot of your materials here. And you have this shop that we're sitting in mm. at the moment. Some farriers come and pick up from here yeah. and others you deliver to? Yeah, um, we usually um, use the postal system, which is, which is massively improved in the last five, six, seven years. Um, it used to be near on impossible to send anything um, at a reasonable rate and for it to arrive at a reasonable time. But at the moment we're getting um, next day or even um, one day or two days delivery delay, which is amazing for some of the people that are living in remote areas where it's, there is no supply near them. And, that's, and again, that's helping these guys that are living in remote areas to improve their skills, 
improve improve their skills and improve the the welfare of these animals that are in their care. Just to explain to listeners about the the noise, Zuez Supply Shop, uh, which is um, Maroc. Maroc Marichalerie. <laughs> Maroc Marichalerie um, is is right on the street, and, um, that, and I think the children have just come out of school or yeah, something. And it's next to a school. <laughs> oh, so that, that, that explains a lot of the noise. Yeah. Anyway, but it's right in the town centre. Okay, so the other thing I want to ask you about nails is you told me that there, there's a, a cultural thing or a traditional thing here about the nails in other words it's one size fits all absolutely <laughs> well we are we are creatures of habit <laughs> and it's what your father did what your grandfather did and what you're going to be doing and also it's supply and demand so the most we just hear the market only consume one nail or traditional market only only consume one nail and that's the um, gcf2 which is um, about 53 millimeter uh, but, but how does that equate to an E5? Or? It's about an E5, yeah. Uh, uh, an E5, a thick E5. <laughs> a thick E5. Um, okay. There is two sides to it. One side is, at one time, that was the only available nail in the market. So you were obliged to use it for a yeah. donkey, for um, an Arab horse, and for um, a show jumping horse. Well, it would be okay for a show jumping horse, Absolutely. but I think some Arabs, I'm not sure if I'd want to yeah. be putting in five. No, it's too big for, for, some of the for Arabs. Those, um, yeah. all those type of um, horses or even working animals. Now, I have to ask you the deep philosophical question. Oh, dear. <laughs> and I know you're a deep thinker. So what I'd like you to tell me is what do you think is the greatest hurdle that we have to overcome in life? Oh gosh. <laughs> um, I think I think life is complicated as it is. I think w- what we what we're trying to achieve and what we're looking for is um, contempt. Where you are happy with your life, whether you're poor, rich, you know, knowledgeable or not, it's just that sweet spot. Yeah. In 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 life, and some people spend all their life looking for that and. It's, um, yeah, it's tricky. (laughs) I can tell you that. (laughs) Um, So now, tell me, educational opportunities in Morocco. There there is a farrier school, isn't there? Because you took me there yesterday. Yes. Um, I mean, historically speaking, there was no farrier, other than the military, which they have an an internal school, there was no farrier school in Morocco. And... uh, that's why the in the 90s Walt Taylor and um, Dr. Wassart and the, the five farriers started this program of educating working farriers and in 2013 um, was the establishment of um, uh, the Institute of the Horse in, in Rabat Dar Salam and one of the um, sections of one of the um, of the courses in in that school is farriery thank God for that uh, so that's that's a massive massive step uh, the school in itself is, is is amazing as you have seen yesterday great facilities and in close proximity to lots of horses so the students will get a lot of practice um, we have seen the uh, um, uh, the teacher mr. Zop, who was teaching there and they have two-year course so they have um yesterday we saw the um first year guys which is i think they have like a maximum of 20 students at a time and um the second year there was about eight students 
Yes, I mean, I was impressed. A, the facilities are extraordinary. Mm. They were, uh, you know, it's a wonderful area, all new built, spacious, and the forging. I would say the guys that were doing the forging, I would have liked two minutes with them, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, that would have been rude to the, no, to the instructor. Yeah, I think, I think it's, um, as you said, the facilities are great, but um, it would be nice if they can involve more people that are from the field, you know, farrier, there's lots of good farriers around here in Morocco, uh, if you involve them in even in a consultative facility and hopefully improve, improve the conditions and the strategy is more well, important. One of the problems I think, and it's, it's the same for farrier schools all over the world, is that trying to get good instructors, uh, good young farriers with 15 or 20 years experience, they're actually out there earning some money and no mm. school or schools can't pay them can they yeah that the, the, you know to 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 replace that earnings mm. and you get that all over the world but sometimes that's overcome by having part-time instructors mm -hmm. and and as you say so that might be something they they could look yeah, at i think um as you said lots of um, good farriers they, they want to be out there earning a lot of money and um, understandably the school cannot afford to pay them that much to to um, lure them into teaching rather than uh, than going out and shoeing horses and as, as you mentioned even part-time farrier that will go there and support the, um, the, the, the teacher that is already there and even like short courses, short course support courses for for um, for the students and and the teacher because as you have seen yesterday we have there was only one teacher and there were twenty students. Yeah. So in a practical craft, you yeah. cannot look after twenty people. It's very difficult to manage <clears throat> twenty people uh, on your own. <laughs> I was I was very impressed that they all have a uniform to wear. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you noticed when I went to take a picture, one of them had not turned up in the correct uniform and the instructor pulled him out of the way he yeah. said he wasn't to be in the picture no i think i think they wouldn't um they have um they have quite um, strict rules there so um uh, so if someone is not wearing their uniform they wouldn't be allowed in so it's it's like a school <laughs> yeah but that's good you need yeah. discipline absolutely and the um uh, the instructor there is of uh, military background and um sometimes you do need that <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, the other thing is, uh, I know you said that there are additional courses that are run almost on an ad hoc basis um, for farriers who are already <coughs> shoeing, and I know you've been involved in that. Yes, um, and that's that's the programme that was started in the 90s. Oh, that's the one that's, that's the still going? Yes, that oh, is, is still going, which is, which is great, um, thanks to a lot of efforts from different guys. Uh, guys that have uh, started it and guys that are carrying on the mantle to be to be fair to them and also there's a lot of support from Spana um, um, the uh, charity and SOREG which is the um, governing body of um, horse welfare in Morocco for sponsoring that and looking after it to make sure that it carry on and the objective of that course is to get farriers from outside who are already shoeing horses or working equines and just give them a little bit more knowledge because it's a short period of time of one month um, so it's um, it's a full-on course uh, to say the least mm. uh, so you need people that already know roughly what they're doing and you just try and improve and enhance their knowledge and skill to make um, you know to make an impact <laughs>
I, I suppose one of the problems with that is the horse world is traditional. Farriers are a very traditional part of that, and we're here in Morocco, which is really very traditional. Very traditional. Yeah. So I suppose the, the only drawback to that is when people are established and they've learned once how to do something, mm. you have a problem of, uh, of convincing them yeah. that there's another method. Absolutely. I think the, the key is, is we're not telling them that they're doing it wrong. We're just telling them that it is a, a different way. And sometimes people, are, people, when they see something, they believe in it. So if they can see the difference, they start to buy in. And sometimes even just teaching them something new, which is anatomy, for example, they never learned that. They know there is blood somewhere. If they go into every now and again, yes, like we all have, absolutely. So, but the uh, my experience with these guys, they always find it quite fascinating to learn what's behind the flesh yeah. and where the bone sits, where the tendons, and and so on. So they feel really empowered by that course, and also when they improve their skills a little bit because they have to in that short period of time, they can see their craftsmanship improving, and as we say. It takes the same the same time to make to do a bad job as it is to take, to do a good job. So if it's yeah. if there is no loss of work in time, why not do a good job? Yeah, well, can. that's a good philosophy. <laughs> now, I think you hinted to me that at one point on one of these courses, the course was in danger due to one of the dead legs. So tell us what happened. I mean, um, that was a long time ago, <laughs> uh, but. Um, um, there was an incident where dead legs, you know, they are used to um, teach um, teach some of the uh, trainers on how to nail because sometimes, yeah, sometimes we do get um, experienced people, but sometimes we do get inexperienced people and it's not very safe to give them live horses and also because we go to souks to shoe horses for free during the uh, training. So the last thing to you want to have is a lame, a lame, a lame horse, horse yeah. and um, uh, an angry owner <laughs> because they earned their, their living with that horse or that mule. But just tell me, what did you do with the dead legs so after what, you've used so, them? Yeah, so I'm, I'm coming to that, Simon. <laughs> so what, so when we use the, uh, when we finish with the dead legs, we bury them. And uh, unfortunately, one day, one of the stray dogs um, had the scent and uh, dug up a leg <laughs> and it went went wandering around it around the streets so that was uh, that caused a bit of a adverse media <laughs> to say the least uh, so now we are very careful the, about, anyway, about how we dispose of it <laughs> the course survived and I'm, I'm really glad to hear yeah. uh, that it's still going Okay, what I'd like you to say, because we have a bit of fun at this point when, uh, you know, English is your third language, isn't it? Because French must yeah, be your second yeah, language. Yeah. So what I'd like you to say in Arabic is, yeah. uh, your horse needs shoeing today. Okay, well, I'll, I'll get it done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so now we went to the horse fair today, and when you said to me a horse fair, I'm thinking, oh, it's a horse show. and. I mean, this was vast, yeah, and of course it had the traditional. It was all about the Berbers and 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 these troops of, of um, who are representing their village, and they have the old muskets, yeah, <laughs> and they're charging down on the horses and they fire the muskets, and it was really dramatic. Yeah. 
um, what we, where we went to today is what we call Tawareda, which is um, a traditional discipline um, in Morocco, where almost every village, every, um, every little uh, parish will have their own troop, which consists can be between 10 and 20 horses and riders. And they are very proud of their representation um, in that in in every fair that is um, that is available. So the tradition is to kind of replicate the warfare, the wartime um, the, um, heroics of uh, the old Moroccans, <laughs> where they used to ride on horseback and they have to fire and fire at the same time. In the process, doing some demonstrative work with their hand, with the with the muskets. I guess the idea is to scare the um, the enemy or something yeah. like that. <laughs> no, well, it was it was extraordinarily impressive, and I got a little video, so I'm certainly yeah. put that up, and I got lots of lovely pictures. But it really reminded me, you know, at the end of this short trip, that um, Morocco is a real country of contrast, isn't it? Not mm. just the geography, the desert, but also very fertile farmland. Yeah. The people, you know, Rabat is as modern as any city that you'd want. <laughs> yeah. But where we went out today yeah. is very rural and developing. Yeah. So, you know, wonderful contrast and and fantastic people. Zuair, I want to thank you for taking part in this podcast, but especially I want to thank you looking after me these two days. And I think we need to go and have another cup of gunpowder tea. So <laughs> Definitely, that's something that um, you can't have enough. And thank you for coming uh, to visit us. It's uh, an honour to have you here. And hopefully we'll see you another time. You will indeed, <laughs> you will. Well, I hope you've enjoyed that podcast. You can tell how well I get on with Zuair. He has a great sense of humour and he's doing really well since he worked for me 10 years ago, building a supply business in Morocco. And also I could tell during my visit how much he has the respect of the local farriers and the farrier school that we visited it. I love the fact that uh, Zuair dispelled a number of myths about his country and North Africa and the desert, the Sahara and some of those countries there. And we learnt so much about the shoeing culture there in Morocco and, and many of the difficulties that accompany being in a developing country. But I'm sure after hearing the podcast, you'll think, as I do, that Morocco is developing the right way and it's in really good hands when there's people like Zuair helping to push our craft of farriery forwards. We'd like to thank Hoofcare Essentials Foundation and their partners for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more information at hoofcareessentials.com. You can follow more of Simon's work on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Simon Curtis. To get in contact, please email thehoofofthehorse at gmail.com. And for everything else, go to drsimoncurtis.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>